Om Jnanati Mirandhasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Guravenamaha Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 26, Text 34, Translation and Commentary by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada The activities and characteristics of the ethereal element can be observed as accommodation for the room for the external and internal existences of all living entities, namely the field of activities of the vital air, the senses and the mind, purport. The mind, the senses and the vital force or living entity have forms, although they are not visible to the naked eye. Form rests in subtle existence in the sky and internally it is perceived as the veins within the body and the circulation of the vital air. Externally there are invisible forms of sense objects. The production of the invisible sense objects is the external activity of the ethereal element and the circulation of vital air and blood is its internal activity. That subtle forms exist in the ether have been proven by modern science by transmission of television, by which forms or photographs of one place are transmitted to another place by the action of the ethereal element. That is very nicely explained here. This verse is the potential basis of great scientific research work, for it explains how subtle forms are generated from the ethereal element what their characteristics and action, actions are, and how the tangible elements, namely air, fire, water, and earth, are manifested from the subtle form. Mental activities or psychological actions of thinking, feeling, and willing are also activities on the platform of ethereal existence. The statement in Bhagavad Gita that the mental situation at the time of death is the basis of the next birth is also corroborated in this verse. Mental existence transforms into tangible form as soon as there is an opportunity due to contamination or development of the gross elements from subtle form. It's often stated that, or it's understood that, a main purpose for the description of the material nature within Srimad Bhagavatam which is Nigamakalpatara Galitam Palam the ripened fruit of the desire tree of Vedic knowledge which is meant for establishing within the consciousness of its hearers and readers knowledge of and attachment to the supreme transcendent reality. So it's often said that this description of material nature is there along the lines of Shaka Chandra Nyai that to point out the moon to a child who may not know what is the moon. This is the moon. First, you see this tree in between, in between the branches of the tree, that shining object in the sky, that is the moon. So calling our, 
our attention to something with which we are familiar to uh, as a means to make us aware of something which is not familiar to us. So material energy is familiar to the conditioned soul. Spiritual energy is not. So a description of the material energy in in relation to the spiritual energy is like from our perspective, the tree has a relationship with the moon. The, because in our line of vision, the moon appears to be between the branches of the tree. So, there is a relationship between the material energy and Krishna. So, pointing out, this is the material energy, and then showing what is its relationship to us and to Krishna. The material energy has a relationship with the conditioned souls. That is that yaya samohito jiva atmanam trigunatmakam that the bewildered conditioned, the conditioned souls are bewildered by the material energy. And the material energy has a relationship with Krishna. It is under his, it is produced from him, it is under his control. Mayadhakshena prakriti suyate sacharacharam hetunanena kontaya jagadviparivartate. So the material energy is something that we can perceive, and in this way, uh, it has a relationship with both us and with Krishna. So in this way, we can, understanding who we are, that we are not the material energy, and understanding who is Krishna. He is also not a material product, as is sometimes misunderstood by foolish people. Avajananti mang murha manushyam tamamashritam. Foolish people consider that Krishna is a product of the material energy. He's an, another human being. So it's pointed out that Krishna, Bhagavad Gita and all the Vedic literatures establish we are not products of material energy nor is Krishna. We are bewildered by material energy. Krishna is never bewildered by material energy. Our relationship is with Krishna not with the material energy. Now, when we're talking about being able to perceive the material energy some things are not directly, but there are subtle energies which are not directly perceivable to the gross senses. Mind, intelligence, and false ego are not directly perceivable. They're not tangible. The word Prabhupada uses here in the purport. They're not tangible. You can't touch, taste, smell, or hear the mind. That's why, despite the attempt of psychologists to arrogate to psychology the status of a science, and even though they've bewildered much of the population into thinking that it is a science, it's largely 
speculative to a much greater degree than the traditional sciences of chemistry, biology, and physics, which deal with phenomena that can be measured. But the mind, you can't, it's not tangible, you can only guess. And there may be patterns of behavior that emerge and you can try to quantify them. But the mind can never be quantified or measured in the same way that gross matter can be. In chemistry, you can, you can make clear predictions. If you react an acid with an alkali, well, put together an acid and an alkali, there's a reaction and a salt and water remain. But with the mind, you can't say. So, exactly what anyone will do. If someone, they predict that people should act in a certain manner. If they don't, they say they're abnormal. But who's to say what's normal? According to different cultures, one thing may be, what may be considered normal in one culture is considered abnormal in another. So it's not measurable in the same way as the gross the mind, intelligence and false ego are not measurable in the same way as the gross elements are. Even intelligence they try to measure by tests. But the tests, they, they can to some extent measure certain kinds of intelligence. But you might get someone who's uh, highly intelligent and they pass the test and they become part of the Mensa society. But they can't make a chapati for their life. They don't have the intelligence how to... Co they can solve complex mathematical theorems, but put them in the kitchen and they don't have any intelligence how to make a chapati. Or they, they try to cook the rice and they burn it and just make a complete mess. Whereas the housewife with no education, she may be an expert cook. She, so her intelligence works in a different... She has intelligence, but a different kind of intelligence. So, again, it's difficult to quantify. That's why at the present in our ISKCON, the latest fashion, the latest deviation, is uh, psychotherapy. Not, it hasn't come much to India yet, but in the Western countries, the, the latest rage is psychotherapy. Every, every devotee should get psychotherapized, but so that you can be, become a better, you can become more mentally integrated and become a, then you can do your bhakti better. But it's all based on different speculations. The, the, the rage among 
the, popu- the, the popular gurus in the West, what they call the word guru in American English, or it has a different meaning to guru in Hindi or Sanskrit. It's often used to mean someone, it's like a new age guru, someone who they write books about how to feel good about yourself and how to be successful and all this. So the whole thing is how to feel good about yourself. That even though you're completely useless, you should feel, I'm great, I'm wonderful. But what this has been for the last 10-15 years, this, it's called self-esteem. Everyone should have, you should have high self-esteem. You shouldn't think I'm very, very so you should think I'm great. So it's, what they're analyzing now, it's produced a whole generation of Americans who are completely useless at anything. And, but they, they think I'm great because instead of thinking that they have to work hard to achieve something, this psychological mumbo-jumbo has convinced them that, well, even if, even if you can't do anything, you just feel good, that's all. And you just think and you'll be a, you just think and you'll be a success. Just feel it. You get up every morning and say, I'm a success, but actually you're not. You're completely, you're a completely lazy, useless bum. If you're going to be a success, you have to work hard. And if you're not good at something, you have to work hard to improve it. Just feeling, I'm great, I'm wonderful, it doesn't work. So, this is, it goes through different phases and fads. And as has been noted, the the Catholic seminaries in the West were destroyed by psychological treatment. They thought, oh, this is really good. We can make our prospective priests and nuns better, better integrated people. But then they taught them psychologically that you, you should just get in contact with your inner self. And your inner self, they don't know what is their inner self. So they go inside and it's all calm, crowed, low, moha. And they say, you just express yourself, what, what your feelings are, whatever you want to do. And then what happened is they thought, well, what do I want to do? I'd like to uh, drink wine, have illicit sex, and that was it. That was the, within five years, they, they closed down all their seminaries in, in California, except one, and there's three people left or something. Because instead of teaching the traditional values of discipline, you have to follow rules and regulations. Get in touch with your inner self. What do you really want to do? You have to express it. So one nun is walking up to another nun and saying, I'd like to kiss you and have sex with you. Lesbianism, homosex among women. This is what went on. He said, oh really? Well, okay. I have to respect your feelings. So anyway, the point I wanted to make here, I'm getting a little sidetracked. It's the latest fashion in ISKCON. It's they go through so many. They, 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 uh, you know, I don't know what they're, they're reading TV and reading uh, Kami books and watching TV. And they should just read Srimad Bhagavatam. What does it say? Nashta Prayeshu, Abhadreshu, Nityang Bhagavata Seva. All the Abhadra, all the bad things are destroyed by hearing Srimad Bhagavatam, but they don't believe in that. They believe in modern psychology. Anyway, 
Um, what does one want to say? Because this verse is speaking about ether. Now, ether is an element. Akash, it's usually called. Here it's called Nabhasaha. In Bhagavad Gita, it's called Akash. What's the verse? Famous verse. Different. Bhumirapo nalo vayu kang mano bhudirevacha. Come. I know it's not. It's called in that verse. It's called come. <laughs> ether. It's translated as ether. In in the Western world, also there was a before the rise of modern empiric science. They also used to believe in ether. That's where the word ether comes from. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any word in English. It's actually, it's um, in Western science or the, in the history of Western philosophy, the word ether is a, it's a medieval term. It means a subtle element, and. Although ether is not much, you won't hear this word in English unless you're discussing from Prabhupada's books. There's an English word, ethereal, which means something so vague that it's just something of the imagination. Some, vi- some vague idea bordering on imagination. So, Ether, what is ether? It seems difficult for us to understand what is ether. It, we can't see, touch, taste, smell, or hear mind, intelligence, or false ego, but we can have some idea of what they are. And similarly, we cannot see, touch, taste, smell, or hear. I, didn't, I deliberately didn't say feel the mind. We can feel the effect of the mind in a subtle way. We can't feel also ether. So in some ways it's, it appears to be more subtle even than mind intelligence and false ego. Difficult to understand what it is. Here the understanding of what ether is is given. It's that well, sometimes it's akash, it's translated as space. It's that which gives room for everything to move in. in. In our modern scientific way of thinking, we just take that for granted. We don't think that there's any need of any element, space, for everything else to move in. But the Vedic concept of elements is different to the modern scientific. They, we don't have a periodic table in the Western, in the Vedic system. And what, what is called an element in modern science means, uh, let's see if I can define it, an irreducible substance, or if it's reduced then it creates a big explosion. It's irreducible. That at least refers to the non-radioactive elements. So the, the elements, 
what are called the elements, they bond with other elements to form molecules. So they are the, or with themselves, just like hydrogen won't be found as a single element. It's always, it's, it may be in, the molecule will be a combination of hydrogen, H2, two hydrogen, as far as I remember, two hydrogen atoms, is that right? Combined to form a hydrogen molecule. I learned something at school, not much. So, the elements are considered the building blocks of the universe. The bricks. Whereas in the Vedic understanding, the elements, it, it, it means the primordial substances, different categories of substances, from which all other substances of that type are generated. So, if we say earth, air, uh, earth, water, fire, air, ether, these are the gross elements which are progressively less gross. So, earth, mud is mostly earth, and so is Brass, I was saying this is Mridanga, it's Pitalanga, it's, it's not made from earth, it's made from brass. Mridanga means made from Mrit, means, Mrit means Mati, just earth. The, but certain kind of clay, and this is made from brass, but brass is also, it's considered a transformation, it's, it's a it's product of the earth element. So if we say it, it's a transformation of the earth element. Now, in Vedic science, there's no such thing as a transformation of an atom. But, it, it, so the, the understanding of what is an element is quite different. When we say air, that means in the Vedic understanding, that means all different kinds of gaseous substances. And of course, there may be mixtures, just like steam is a, is a mixture of the air element and the water element under certain conditions. So, ether is described here as the, the, the main characteristic of ether is that which, its space, it gives room for everything else, for all the other gross elements to work in. And it's also the interface element between the grossly gross elements and the subtle mind, intelligence and false ego. And here in the purport, Prabhupada explains that the it is by ether that the uh, is through ether that the uh, mind, intelligence, and false ego, the the subtle body, the soul, in, in, 
in the subtle body is able to take a gross body. Prabhupada also gives the example of ether. Ether is that in which form can manifest. So he gives the example of TV. What is TV? TV, by TV one is able to capture the image of an object in one place and display it in another place. So you can have live cricket. The game is going on in Australia and you can watch it in India. How is that possible? Because the form is being transmitted through the ether. And presumably that would apply to all different kinds of uh, telecommunication. They're just like radio or this, through the satellite they have this uh, phone. Sound is transmitted through the... Hmm? Transmission, yeah. Sound is transmitted. All the so the, the subtle in a subtle form, that which is gross is represented. It, it's it's able to be transmitted through the ether. There's uh, in science fiction, they have this concept of beaming people from one place to another. That they put a beam on you, on the body, and the body, I don't know what there, maybe they don't explain it, but anyway, the body is beamed from one place, maybe from one planet to another. So your body is here, they put the beam, and then they move the beam somewhere else, and then the whole body gets reformed. And that's one way of saving the bus fare or saving the plane fare. Of course, if someone beams you and then they don't put you back, then you're in a lot of trouble. Then what happens? You remain as a ghost. I don't know. But anyway, they have some idea that they could do that. I don't know if they're ever going to do that because the bodies. A lot. They, you can send a sound wave from one place to another, but that's far less complex than a body. It's also all on the subtle platform. So I don't know if they're ever going to do that. We don't have even in the in the Vedic literature any such thing, but it's not needed also because the, the Vedic by the Vedic method, you don't have to get beamed and then your gross body reconstructed somewhere else. But just by thought, you can transfer from one place to another. That is one yoga siddhi. Or there are different ways of doing it. You can jump in the Ganga at one place, at Haridwar, and come up in Calcutta. Although I think it would be better to go from Calcutta to Haridwar. Or, 
Prabhupada said that there are some yogis who every day they take bath at the Chardham. That means Badrinath, Dwarka, Puri, Rameshwaram. They go in the water. They go in the water, take their bath at Rameshwaram, and then they go up, down, three times. You have to go up, down, up, down, up, down. And the fourth time they go down and they come up in Puri. And this way, they, and Prabhupada said, I have personally seen, which probably means that Prabhupada was doing it too. <laughs> so, they don't, the, the, the ideas that they have imagined in science fiction are rather gross, actually. The Vedic method is by thought, by, by one who is able to control his mind, then automatically he gets mystic powers. You don't have to be a devotee. It's, you'll find even Buddhists or Christians, if they're actually controlling this, I'm not talking about this Joyce Meyer kind of Christian, but, but, uh, you'll find some some traditional monks, they live very austerely in the Christian tradition. And they get mystic powers. They can fly around here and there. And just by seeing them, people get cured of diseases and so many things. The, the, the mystic power, it, it automatically accrues to people who perform austerities. Therefore it's said that austerity is the wealth of the brahmanas. What do they need money for? You can, you can create it any time you like. You, but they, they don't need. They have. They're on a, on a <coughs> higher level. So all these, what we call mystic powers. How is it possible? Because the the gross forms they are uh, resting in the ether. So one who has mystic powers, it means that the ethereal element, either consciously or unconsciously, they're able to, they have some leverage on that. So they're just like you'll find someone, some yogi or magician, they'll, what would you like to eat? And they say, this, when Prabhupada was a child, some yogi, came to their home and said, what would you like to eat? And he, he said, Kabuli Dalim, which means pomegranates from Kabul. And they'd go in the next room and they found freshly plucked from the tree some nice pomegranate, fresh. So he immediately, all right, you take, you eat that. So they can do, because they, they can immediately, by because the space, the ether is that which accommodates space. So one who's in contact with the, just like you see, they also in science fiction, they have this idea that you can, you can walk through a, a portal from one universe to another, or from one level of existence to another. So like actually one who's, in, who's controlled the mind and senses, then the gross, because they, they're, they're in control of their mind and senses on a subtle level, so the, 
the gross matter doesn't restrict them. So for such a person, 10,000 miles, 5,000 miles is just the same as being just here. So for them it's an easy thing. They can pick up a fruit from America and give it to you right here and now. They have that ability. They can do that. Or they can travel. They can go from one place to another. Because there's no, there's no restriction. They, they, they don't have to go through the, all the... They don't have to cross so many gross barriers. They can immediately, through the ether, go right through. So these are some understandings of ether. Prabhupada writes in this purport that this verse is the basis of tremendous potential scientific research. Actually in Russia especially they've done a lot of orthodox scientists for many years they've done research whereas in the western countries they reject, no, no, we don't believe in all this, it's not possible. But in Russia from a long time back they were doing research on telepathy and ES, extrasensory perception and, and mystic powers. They did so much research and they in the West also, but to a lesser extent, because it's considered not very bona fide among gross scientists. But they've done so many experiments, just like if you flip a coin a thousand times, it should come up 500 times on one side. It should land 500 times on one side and 500 times on the other. Where there, there may be a small margin of difference, but just by chance... It should be around 500, 500, maybe 498, 502, or maybe even 490, 510. But they did some experiment that people by, by thought, they would say, it should land this way up. And they found that in, in many cases, they, it would be, it would be like 600 times it would land out that way and only 400 the other. And they did like this. They did so many experiments that, that Thought can influence gross matter. This is the realm of mysticism. There was, there used to be someone on TV. I never saw it, but I was told when I was a kid in England that there was someone who'd come on TV and they'd they'd hand him a, they'd hold someone would hold a spoon. And he would just look at it and just by thinking it would, you could, everyone could see it would bend like this. The, the spoon handle would bend in the middle. So he'd spoil a spoon as, a, as an act for TV. Just to sh by the power of his thought, he was able to do that. So, as Prabhupada writes here, it's, it's, it's an area of much research of course, we're not intrinsically much interested in all these things. But it is interesting to see, to find out that beyond the gross platform, there is a subtle platform, and beyond the subtle platform, there's the spiritual platform. 
by the development of modern science on the gross platform, they have been able to convince people, some people, that there is no God, that man is the master of nature. Or they, but actually even their, their science is mostly on the, the subtle platform. Dealing with different energies, physics is considered among biology, chemistry, physics considered the most prestigious. Dealing with energies, so actually the the whole of the intellectual endeavor is simply dealing with energies. As the scientists, they deal with physics, which is subtle energies. But even more subtle, we have here the energies. How are they able to, how is it light able to travel? How is sound able to travel? The answer is, in the Vedic perspective, the answer is, by, that is enabled by ether, which is a gross element. It's not, it's the subtlest of the gross elements. But it's not sp spiritual. But beyond this, these subtle elements, there is the spiritual energy. That's actually what we want to see. But it's difficult to perceive as long as we're in gross consciousness. So the Bhagavatam is giving us the branches of the tree through which to see the moon. So the branches of the tree, that, that is the Vedic knowledge, Hmm? What is that? Tasya Shaka. How does that verse begin? 15th chapter. Atascha Mulani Andusantatani. How does that verse begin? I got Nirmana Mohajita Sangha Dosha. No, it's the verse after that. Anyway, Tasya Shaka. Ah. Parnani. Tasya. Hmm? Urdva Mulamada Shaka. Yeah, that's it. That's Then it goes on to explain what are the... Anyway, the, the material world is compared to the... It's like a great banyan tree, very complex. So looking through this, the branches of this very complex banyan tree, by Shaka Chandra and I, we should find the moon of Krishna Chandra. That is the purpose of these discussions in Bhagavatam. So you may say, well, there wasn't much about Krishna in that class. Well, I call in my defense that you find out the lectures that Prabhupada gave on all these verses and you'll find quite similar. Prabhupada was talking about the material energy as described in Bhagavatam. It's all leading to Krishna. Bhagavatam, everything presented in Bhagavatam is all meant for understanding Krishna only. So, anything? Any question? Comment? Hare Krishna.